I'm Libby Rothschild, former clinical dietitian who transformed into a full-time virtual business owner. It was only one year ago when I made $55,000 a year in my clinical job. And now I make $100,000 a month being my own boss. And you can do this too. My clients, who are all female dietitians and students, started from zero and created six-figure, multi-six-figure businesses by following my proven method. And they've all been guests on air. My proven method shows you how to attract cash paying clients using social media marketing strategies that work. You don't have to guess, waste time, or hold yourself back when you follow my step-by-step method. All right. Uh, Melissa, if you can speak to your philosophy and how you support health at every size as your philosophy, and if you could also define what that means in in your word. Yeah. It's like a three-parter, Libby. Okay. So I'll first start by saying that health at every size you know, we, we hear that language said a lot on Instagram and out in the dietitian community. It actually isn't a health philosophy originally. It's a social justice movement of people who were noticing out in the world that weight stigma existed. So fat people were discriminated against or experienced the world a little bit differently than people in smaller bodies. There's a whole history behind this. And I encourage anyone listening to research this. Anti-Diet by Christy Harrison is a great book that talks about the history of dieting and what fat people have gone through as social norms changed around what we're supposed to look like in terms of an ideal, both for women and men. There are different ideals. So it's important to say that this movement started from a social justice context, meant to give equal rights to people who were in bodies that differed from the norm. So that's the origin of the the Health at Every Size movement. A couple follow-up questions. What is the norm? So that changes over time, right? And I think people always say, like, when you look at paintings in the 1500s, like the Botticelli kind of painting, a woman's body looked very different than what we see on the cover of a magazine in the 60s or the 70s or the 80s. But by and large, we've seen a thin ideal show up in society that has changed to what degree and what parts of the body are supposed to be thin. But essentially that that thin ideal that we tend to see repeated in media And it's funny, I did something on my Instagram feed the other day where I said, what are we supposed to look like? And I asked people just to answer the question and the repetition of some of the answers was really interesting, you know, that we're supposed to have thin waists, but not too thin, you know, big boobs, but not too big. So there's this ideal that we all carry that seems to be repeated in society and desired. And that is what drives a lot of the weight loss desires as well. And out of curiosity, uh, thank you for clarifying that. Is Hayes also body image or are those two separate things? Because I think I'm confused. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So Hayes' work can help someone address their individual body image, so how they perceive themselves. But for me, let's say I have body image concerns and I get support with that. I may feel better about my body. But when I enter into the world, I don't face discrimination. That's different than someone who does body image work who is in a bigger body. They may not have access to chairs that fit them, and that's constantly triggering them to re-question their size and their worth. They may not be able to have access to clothing. They may not get a job. There's data to show that there is discrimination about employment and you know, getting promoted. On the internet, there's, there's a lot of talk about how when I post a picture of me eating a cheeseburger and food freedom and, and really expressing that, a woman in a bigger body would do the same thing. And you can see trolls on the internet just saying horrible things 
you know, questioning their existence and whether or not that that's okay for them. So the body image is addressed, but it, Hayes recognizes that I have a privilege in society where I get to walk around and be perceived as someone who maybe is, has their act together in a different way than a bigger person, which isn't necessarily true. Um, you'd have to get to know somebody to know how, how they are and, and what values they have. And, and thank you for clarifying that. And also as a Hayes practitioner, there are other practitioners such as therapists mm-hmm. uh, that, that consider themselves Hayes practitioners. So how do practitioners outside of dietetics work together? How does this kind of movement collaborate? So anyone can adopt the health at every size paradigm and philosophy. It's almost like a lens through which you see your work. You know, someone who doesn't have a haze lens may do the exact same types of counseling or interaction, but they're not going to be pushed to think about how social forces are impacting that individual. So the way we might collaborate is one, acknowledging, I might refer someone to a health at every size provider because I I can trust that that person's going to think about, okay, this woman in a bigger body does have to deal with stuff at the doctor's office differently than a smaller body. And therefore, she might counsel her differently or push her differently to think about things and problem solve through that that world. Does that make sense? So it's not so much how we might collaborate differently. It's understanding that we're going to have this client's back um, in a similar way as we help her approach the problems and struggles that she names for herself. Yeah. And that community of practitioners that you obviously feel comfortable referring to because you know there's going to be synergy Mm -hmm. recommendations. How are you finding this movement, these people in this mm-hmm. movement? Is there yeah. some kind of association or organization where you know there are practitioners you feel comfortable referring to? Yeah. So, you know, my whole journey with this did start, I heard of Health at Very Size, and most people in the, in the space talk about hearing about it and being like, this is hokey, right? Like, it is so counter to <laughs> a lot of the things you learn in your own training, particularly the stuff about weight loss. It, it's, it takes a minute to be like, wait a minute, no. I've been taught this, I've seen this. So, you know, for me, there were parts of it that I accepted in the beginning and parts that I kind of rejected over time being on Instagram and just finding different types of providers and really immersing myself in that message. I started to be like, oh, wait, okay, that makes sense. And then little by little, you start to integrate the parts that really make sense for you. So there is a Hayes hashtag if you want to find that. Um, This isn't the purest way to get the best information, but if you'd like, I would suggest people starting there. From there, um, Weight Inclusive Nutrition and Dietetics, which is an offshoot organization run by Heather Kaplan. She does education. She has a Facebook community. That has been a space that's been extremely helpful um, as well. And then the last thing I used was podcasts. So Food Psych by Christy Harrison. I would just like listen and you'd hear all these different perspectives of people I would never have met in my real life talking about their experiences. And so slowly you start to see some of the names in the space and kind of collect the people that serve your client base. Because I need people to role model this for my clients. I do work with women in bigger bodies. And so when they say, you know, Melissa, you don't get it, which they say to me, I say, you know, you're right. Here are all these amazing women out there who are either activists or role models or therapists or other dietitians that I want you to get to know and integrate those messages into our work, or maybe even refer them toward their work if that's what they need instead. And how do your clients perceive that, that, you know, the recommendations that you make to help Mm -hmm. them? 
you know, really strengthen their thoughts and feelings. When we work together, Libby, this is one of my biggest concerns. And I was like, oh my God, I'm really going to, I really want to do this work, but I'm so afraid of the rejection of either the clients or the community. And what has happened, honestly, is nothing but relief. My clients have never really had someone in a smaller body, a practitioner who's dealing with their weight say, you know what, you're right. You do have to face things that I don't. I don't really know a lot about that. Tell me about that. Just having someone give them space to talk about that is super powerful. And then from there, we say, okay, we've kind of let that in the room. What do you want to do? And as a coach, I get to you know, help them design what it is they want to do. Sometimes they just want to feel pissed off about it. And that's okay. You know, we can sit there and feel pissed off that they experience discrimination. Yeah, that's really beautiful. So are you, you know, happy and glad that you've been able to get into a position where you can make those recommendations and acknowledge that you're in a smaller body helping people in a larger body and that that's okay. And that's actually a good thing because you're representing that you're you know, being inclusive in your practice and, and role modeling for them that people in smaller bodies can have those conversations with people in larger bodies. Exactly. Exactly. And they don't always, you know, I had one client who we had the conversation. I sometimes talk about it in discovery calls. Like, what's this going to be like for you when we, we get down to the core of it? You know, is this going to be difficult for you to be working with someone who's smaller? And, you know, I had this conversation with this client and then about a month in, she goes, honestly, Melissa, I'm so sorry. She's like, I, was very badly bullied when I was a kid. There's something about this message coming from you that actually is really challenging. And I'll be honest with you, it hurt because you're like, I'm doing everything I'm trying. But at the end of the day, what she needed was to be around people who had really gone through what she needed. And so we were able to navigate that conversation together, work through it, and she moved on to another provider. And I think that the willingness to do that is important for these clients because it helped her to build trust back again, that someone who looks like me is not going to manipulate her or force her to do anything that she's not needing at that time. You know, that isn't the norm, but you can survive those situations. These clients, you know, we are here for them. And if they realize their needs change in their role model, that's okay. Had both experiences and the norm is that people want to stick around and want to work with you. And that's really powerful that you're able to have that deep conversation from the start on a discovery call, right? That's really powerful work. Does that make you feel like aligned knowing that you can have a difficult conversation right from the start, whether that person decides to work with you or not? Yeah. Well, I want to model it because I'm trying to do something difficult with them. Like this isn't (laughs) superficial fluffy stuff that we're getting into. Like we're trying to talk about I think this comes back to like ideal client work where I almost imagine my ideal client as someone who cares about social justice. She's not, um, this isn't foreign to her. Some of these concepts, she's not in denial about some of the things that are happening to her. She's ready to address them. And so it makes it super easy to have the conversation when that's who I'm looking for. And if that's not who's in front of me, she wouldn't work with me anyhow. So that's how I've always addressed this, this dynamic. That's incredible. Thank you for sharing that, Melissa. I feel that's going to inspire the listeners for sure. And I know you've talked a little bit about your point of view. How would you say it's most changed over time in terms of of Hayes and and the deep work that you do? I mean, so I've been a dietitian for almost 12 years. I would say that I almost had no philosophy in the beginning. I think when you're young, you're kind of like, I just want to help people and that I'm very good at helping people, but I didn't really have... um, a focal point. And I think 
a lot of the work that we did around like, what is the why? I have my husband reading Start With Why, by the way. We're passing that book around. Just getting very clear on what the higher purpose is, what the goal is, made it, makes it very easy for my philosophy to continue to evolve. I would not say that it's done yet. I'm constantly, you should see like a stack of books here, like reading new things. And then you're playing a game of like, how does that align with what I have? And what don't I need? I can leave that behind. And so slowly that builds. I I would say that I am someone who's extremely open-minded. Like I really love being challenged by people and especially people who, who aren't in my group. I think that when we hang around with thin white women who look like us and grew up like us, we tend to hear a lot of the same messages. So I do try to get myself in spaces where I am uncomfortable and I feel like I don't know if I agree with that as an action to push it. Yeah. I mean, it's really, your story is amazing. And I want to kind of go back since you mentioned you've been a dietitian for 12 years. Mm -hmm. What about those first 10, 11 years or what, what, if you didn't have a philosophy or as clear of a philosophy, were you dabbling in this or um, talk to us a little little bit about how you got your bar? So I think, you know, in a lot of my, I should say that I left dietetics for a short while. So I did work at a startup for a few years, which I did that because I was having a lot of dissatisfaction in my work. Um, And I thought I didn't have a lot of hope for, for what was possible. I had been trying to play with things. So part of my shift was actually leaving the space and getting skills and perspective from different industries. But while in my dietetics chair, I had been playing with some of the intuitive eating work I had been playing with various counseling models. I loved working with therapists and learning from them and what they were doing. The problem was that the the structure that I was in didn't really let me freely practice those things in a way that I saw progress or mastery in my clients, right? Because I would have them for a session and then they'd come back in a month if they came back. And if, and from that, you know, you couldn't get the traction the way you do with the packages that I now offer. I have contact with these guys that I can really make an impact um, in a different way. So I think this stuff was always in me. And even still, I'm like, oh, this makes so much sense. I'm into this. I used to read this book or when I was doing my master's, I was really obsessed with this. But I just never, being an entrepreneur means I get to put that all together. I never was able to like make the soup, you know, <laughs> like I had all these ingredients, but was never able to, to do it my way, which the last year has accelerated this a lot. It's incredible. Thank you for sharing that journey. And I know the listeners, and if they feel like they want to strengthen their point of view, you, you absolutely role model. You need that. space. You need space to do it. Because if you're constantly, you know, I, I was worried about what, what do I need to do by the rules and restrictions of the clinical context. You don't get to practice stuff. You don't get to mess up. You don't get to iterate and say, what's my philosophy? It's always going to be how do I like kind of express myself in this tiny philosophy that my boss is telling me I've got to, to be within? hundred percent true. And it, and that, that's, um, that's a problem and it's difficult, but at the same time for the listeners who are um, inspired to think outside the box, you've um, shared some great step-by-step tips of how to get there. Mm-hmm. Listening to podcasts, diving in, exploring, um, and then really getting clear and, and using social media also as a platform. So you've been able to develop your point of view and, and collaborate and get to a place where you, you feel aligned, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right? Because are you now a lot more connected to dietetics and the work that you do versus in the past when you had felt uh, maybe um, 
like you were uh, frustrated with the field when you had left it for a while? Yeah, I think so. And I think that being around other people who I'm like, oh, that I admire how they think, or I, I really can see where they're going in their careers. It's much harder. You know, Instagram is kind of incredible because you get to see a lot of different types of dietitians and what's going on. And so there's a lot more inspiration now than, than there was before to keep going and invest in this space. Um, I'm really excited by the work that Diversified Dietetics is doing um, as well. You know, I think that that was another frustration of mine was seeing lack of diversity and knowing that now there are these organizations that we can participate in. There are dietitians who are, you know, there's, we won't get into the licensure thing, but there's different points of view on that. Like if there is something you have a belief in, you can get involved and you can support the direction of, of what's happening on behalf of our clients. Like that's really what it's about, that there are people out there who need help. It's inspiring to think that you actually can make a difference through your practice. Yeah. Um, and I love what you said about on behalf of our clients, right? Because we're, we're here for our clients and mm-hmm. for consumers and yeah. to give them value. And, and I love that you brought it back to that. Can you talk a little, Melissa, about um, how you define what an inclusive approach means to your business and with your clients? I feel like you alluded to it earlier, if there's anything kind of any open loops to that conversation. So this is, inclusive is kind of like a broad word. And I think what that means depends on how you grew up and where you're from. And, and so for me, I try to think about how do I make someone feel welcome and safe, either on my page or in front of me. It also means recognizing that I don't have all experiences. So being very willing to be called out or called in on Instagram or with my clients, if they tell me, and I've gotten messages before where it's like, you know, this doesn't really sit well with me. I think it's the Hayes community come off as a little bit scary because there's a lot of strong beliefs and, you know, there's different people on different parts of the spectrum. There's also people who have experienced different things. And so the personal attachment to some of the messages will vary. So I just think for me, being inclusive means being willing to listen to someone who has a different point of view, not take that personal, not get angry, and actually take it seriously if, if I want to be someone who's constantly evolving and representing all types of people, because I don't know everything. In fact, everything I've shared with you now, I've learned from someone else who's gone through something that I have had the privilege never to go through. So for me, it's just having that open mind and incorporating. Yeah. And, and, and I appreciate you sharing that and keeping an open mind is important and helpful again for, for consumers as well. So would you say just to kind of tie in what we've said earlier, being inclusive as an example in your business would be listening to a woman on a sales call and how she feels and being mindful to that, listening to podcasts so you can deepen your understanding of what haze means to different people since the points of view are going to be personal and then engaging in maybe some research, whether it's haze hashtag on Instagram or maybe Facebook communities like the one you mentioned from Heather Kaplan and like learning what that means and then seeing how you can apply it to your conversations. Would those be actionable steps for the listeners as far as how they could be more inclusive if they're haze aligned or even if they just want to learn more about what that means? Um, yeah. In fact, whether you are hazeline or not, it's important to understand what this means in context of dietetics and, and the conversations that we have with, with our clients and with consumers. Exactly. And one thing that's been really helpful is spending time. So not just reading one post and going, oh, gosh, you know, 
that doesn't agree. Like this is how the brain works. When you learn something new that doesn't align with what you usually think of, it's going to, you're going to freak out. You're going to reject it. That is a normal experience to have. And so being mindful not to judge this on one post or one interaction, like letting yourself really spend some time. Um, that's why the wind Facebook group is really excellent because there's people having conversations. You can, even if you're just kind of lurking, you can absorb quite a bit of the, the speak in the culture. So um, and there's paid experiences where diverse people are um, getting paid for their time to teach us, which I think is so important that we invest in these communities that have gone through oppression and are now teaching it to us. You know, that's why I think both Diversify and Dietetics and Wind are really powerful communities to be part of because they are working to elevate and serve these oppressed groups and make sure that they're getting time and space to really serve up their message. and other providers can take from that and then support that message back out into their communities too. That's beautiful. Yeah, those are, those are great tangible examples. Thank you, Melissa. And uh, now I want to talk as we wrap up about social media, my favorite topic. <laughs> uh, so when it comes to an inclusive approach and, you know, haze and, and how you practice haze, how has that affected or, or been integrated or evolved with your social media feed and maybe mm -hmm. even broaden this, just social media in general? I know you've already talked about Hayes hashtag, but what would you what would you say with how Hayes is being positioned on social media? You know, I mean Instagram, but we can go broader. So this is something that again is evolving, especially as I learn more and I take feedback. Um, I think a big question that many of us in the Hayes community have is like, how do I build KLT, no like trust, and not center my body and reinforce ideals that maybe are part of the problem and in, in, in creating norms right around our bodies. And so I've kind of grappled with that most in terms of the social media and the marketing piece. Like how do I let my audience know me without maybe pushing my ideal client away or misinterpreting the message a little bit that, Oh, you might look like me if we do this work together, which is a little bit of some of the, the criticism that health at every size might have when thin women are placing their bodies. So the way that I, I think about this has always been, you know, what does my ideal client want to see in me? I can't be all the things to the Hayes movement, but I can be something to her. And so for me, that has meant limiting the use of my own body just because that's how I've conceptualized that with the client. But I show up in stories and, you know, she's going to eventually meet me and see me. And so I am a little bit intentional about that. That doesn't mean that will change or that that's the right way to do it. But that's the way I've thought about the criticism and the tension there. Uh, that's, that's great. And yeah. can you speak to, uh, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the infographics. Um, mm -hmm. they, you've really like blown up on Instagram, done an incredible job of, um, starting and engaging and continuing really deep com and meaningful conversations. How has your work um, been able to, you know, contribute to your bottom line and your higher purpose? And um, how has using, you've explained using your body and how you limit that. How has using infographics helped communicate the yeah. message that you're You got to communicate with something. So uh, in yeah. place of me, um, I've developed these very simple Canva graphics that have performed like surprisingly well. I keep looking at them like, oh my goodness, I can't believe people like these little things. And that has been enough to do the message. And I think the reason for that is that it you know, includes a face, they're kind of cute, they're approachable. But because I'm doing my research and listening to these ladies, I think the 
the words on on the image are what's drawing it in. Like it's compelling because it represents what they're going through. These images reinforce it and help tell the narrative of that. And I'm able to do that without centering my body and making sure that she sees herself in the image when she's looking at my posts. So that has been a really helpful strategy for me to communicate with her and then get discovery calls and then make sales from there. So that has been a great opportunity for me to connect with her. And in addition to making sales, which we won't go too deep into today, um, but when it comes to building community, meaning, you know, really being a resource, how have you noticed that you've created that with the work that you've done? Like you had mentioned before, you're asking questions, you're getting them to engage with you. Do you find that you're um, impacting them and getting them to, to think and act differently? And yeah. Well, I get messages all the time from people who, you know, say, I didn't think food freedom was for me. Like yesterday, someone messaged me and we have a discovery call Sunday with her. She's like, I just don't feel like this is for me. Like, it's a great idea, but it's not for someone in a bigger body. And I love when I get these messages because you can see it's like starting to challenge the ideas. I work with women in smaller bodies too, but I explicitly name women in bigger bodies because I don't think it's, it's obvious to them that this is for them because a lot of the providers are in smaller bodies. That's a reality. There are reasons for that. Um, I would love to see more, more diversity of dietitians in bigger bodies. They're out there. Um, but the norm for them in the landscape is to see thin woman after thin woman sort of promoting this movement. So the graphics help her imagine herself there then she can have the conversation that she can be a little bit of a skeptic. I can take it. We have the conversation. And if it is the time for her to pursue this and work on body image and address some of the weight stigma she's been facing and develop intuitive eating skills, fabulous. I'm exactly your girl. And if not, then I can point her to a dietitian in a bigger body. Maybe she does want weight loss. Maybe she's not ready yet. That's okay. It's her choice to go do that but it, it's a very aligned conversation and I'm not tiptoeing when she gets there because the graphics have positioned that conversation for us. Incredible, incredibly powerful. So thank you for sharing your story. Is there anything else you feel like you want to wrap up with or leave the listeners with as we conclude our conversation today? No, I just want to acknowledge, you know, all the people who have taught me these things, you know, I've definitely done a lot of self-study and invested my own money and time learning from people who, continue to teach me. And so I sort of acknowledge that. And thank you, Libby, for having me on to share a little bit about one person's <laughs> approach in this landscape today. Yeah, it's, it's been really powerful and incredible. And thank you for um, going deeper into what this means, what this means to you, what this means to your clients and what this means to consumers and, and then dietitians. Um, so I think this has been a really great conversation. I appreciate your time and, and energy. Thank you. Good to talk to you. If you identify as a female dietitian or student, apply to my coaching program. I'm accepting applications now. My clients go from zero to exceeding their sales goals. I save you time, energy, and I show you how to confidently become a dietitian boss. Thousands of your colleagues from around the world are doing it, and so can you. Apply on my website at LibbyRothschild.com and check the show notes if you want that link right away.